there is nothing like the gift of me too. There's nothing like that gift. It makes the outcast feel like he belongs. It makes the one who is separated from know that he's loved. The gift of the Me Too is the most wonderful gift anybody could give. I remember I, I was, I had a, a beautiful person that I got to read my life story to. In particular, I read him my life story with all the flaws and warts and painful stuff. And the greatest gift that he gave me, even in the worst moments of my life, the stuff, you know like the stuff that you think you're going to go to the grave with? Anybody here have some stuff that they're going to go to the grave with? Go ahead, raise your hand. Unless your spouse is with you, then you have to get, keep your hand down. Then don't raise your hand, then just keep your hand right down. Um, he gave me this incredible gift, and it was this. Me too. Me too. Me too. This is such an amazing gift that uh, it's, it's gone viral, this hashtag, Me Too. And it's identifying with the suffering that women have gone through forever. The abuse that women have endured at the hands of men with more power. And so all the time, you hear something powerful. They say, listen, Me Too. Me Too. Me too. There's nothing more powerful than me too. I remember when I was sitting there and I was just sort of sharing my whole life in 12-step environments, they call this a fourth and fifth step process. In, in church, we, we call it a, a time of reflection and confession. And when I shared this and I was sharing with him the darkest secrets of my life, and he was saying, me too. I felt like I wasn't all alone. I felt like I wasn't the only one. Every one of us needs that. Me too. Me too. Even if he didn't go through exactly what I went through, he was, oh, do you know what that feels? I know what that feels like. Me too. Oh, are you suffering with tears? Have you been abandoned? Jesus says, me too. And that's what we need. What you and I need is someone to come alongside us. And so the big idea for today is Jesus writes, me too, on his hands. He writes it with you on his heart. He says, me too. Don't forget it. Me too. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus does this most, most powerfully at the cross. But did you, and that was towards the end of his ministry. But did you know, at the very beginning of this ministry, bookends of his ministry, Jesus writes, me too, like in the heavens. He wants to scream it out loud. Me too. I am going to identify with you. We see this in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. 
Jesus comes to John the Baptist. John the Baptist has been preaching and baptizing, telling the world, come and repent. That is, stop believing your lies. Start believing God, his, God's truth. He says, there's one who's coming, a Messiah, who will take away your sins, who will wipe your slate clean, who will love you deeply. And then Jesus comes. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Would you... Do you, do you have it in you to stand one more time so that we, are, we might read God's word? Yeah? Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. We're all going to read it. We're all going to read it in a crazy loud voice because this is God's word and it's good news. Good news for broken hearts. This is good. Let's read it. One, two, three. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is God's word. We all need me too. So we've been in a series, and the series is called Encounters, because what we need most is we don't need another lover, we don't need another dollar, we don't need another day. What we need most is an encounter with Jesus. Lovers are nice and money's okay, but an encounter with Jesus is what will fill our hearts. Let me tell you something. The only way, if you are here struggling with an addiction, the only way you can get rid of a former love is to fall in love with a, a new love. You do know this, right? This is a principle of life, and if you don't believe me, just ask your girlfriend from 15, uh, women, ask your girlfriend from 15 years old. Do you remember her? When you broke up with your boyfriend, what she said, does anybody remember what she said? Oh, come on, girl, you gotta put on your dress, because we're gonna get you another man. Isn't that true? Am I lying? No, 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 no. Guys, what are, our, what are our, we don't call them boyfriends. That's the last thing we call them. But what we do say is we say, well, what, do our, what do our men tell us, right? They go, oh, oh, you, you got a broken heart? You're listening to, I was just recently listening to um, um, In the Garden. Anybody remember that R&B song? It's Barry, Barry White. And it's like, it's like, no, no. No? I'm the only one who remembers? So, forget y'all. All right. Yeah, I was listening to like, what, I don't know what you guys listen to anymore. All right. So, but I was listening to old R&B, like 80s, 90s R&B. And so it was awesome. And I was listening to it and I was thinking to myself, oh man, if I, like, if my wife did me wrong, this song would make me kill myself. 
I would shoot myself. But watch this. When we're listening to Barry White songs and we're in that mode, our guy comes up to us, yo, yo, you need to forget this girl. And then he goes, yo, let's go to the what? Let's go to the club. Why? Because he had the deep, profound theological understanding that I'm about to share with you. The only way you can cast out an old love is to fall in love with a new love. And so Jesus comes and he says, I'm that love. And he says, I won't love you like other, loves, like other lovers will love you who will give you only in so far as they get. What I'll do is I will give and give and give and give and give and give. And I'll love you. And if you run, I'll run after you. And if you, listen, and if you hide, I will look for you. And if you flee, there is not a rock that you can hide under, not a stem that can, not a stem that can produce the smoke that could hide your spirit from me. I will produce. Pursue you with a passion that is unstoppable. And then you go, no, man, I can't have you, Jesus. It's, I'm so bad. As, you know, have you ever said this, right? I can't. Like, remember before Christ days and the BC days, we would say st- silly stuff like I can't go to church. Uh, and the reason I can't go to the church is because like, if I went in and the building would fall down. And, and, just, and just so you know, if God was going to have a building fall down on you, he doesn't have to make it a church building. <laughs> Like, if, you're, if that's where you're at, don't walk under no building, okay? Don't move to California, like where the earthquakes and all that other stuff. Just go ahead. So, so, but we used to say silly stuff like that. And the reason was is because we had a truth in our hearts. And the truth was this. He's holy, and I am defiled. And that's a truth that we have. And it's a shame that we carry. And it's, and it's true. Because you are messed up. Isn't that true? Like, oh, go ahead, raise your hand. Who here got it going on? I want you to raise your hand. Go ahead. I want to at least get to know you. Right. No, no, no. We don't. You know why? Because we know this. We know this from this church. This is the gospel that we preach at this church. You are worse than you think. That's the Bible in a nutshell. You are worse than you think. You, you think you bad? Worse than that. And you are more loved by Jesus than you can imagine. God just didn't have, have to die for you. He was glad to die for you. So we walk in a place like this where we sing, you are good, good, oh. We sing that and we just go, it's true, you're good, but I feel such shame. I can't come get over this shame. I bring my shame into my relationship. I bring my shame into the way I, I, I parent my children. I try to make up for the mistakes of my past and I'm only spoiling them. I bring my shame to my work and I bring my shame to every part of my life. How, how, how can I be rid of this shame? And Jesus comes on the scene. And he says, I will be not only your shame taker, I will come in alongside of you and I will whisper into the lobe of your ear, me too. We see it. We see the the spark of it in this text. Listen. 
he says. Then Jesus, Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17 says this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to be? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this. Why? To fulfill all righteousness. Listen, beloved, that's just, we could spend a couple of weeks on that. We could spend a couple of months on that. We could spend the rest of our lives on that. I'm doing something, not because I am in need of this thing. I am doing something because righteousness needs to be fulfilled. There's shame that needs to be cast out. And I am the only one who can do it. But I'm not doing it for my sake. I'm doing it for the sake of the person sitting in your seat. John comes up to Jesus recognizing. Don't you see? John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. That means it's a baptism of confession. I am a sinner. And I need God's forgiveness. And so I will be baptized in symbolic transformation that I'm dying to my sins and living for righteousness. But John comes up to, uh, Jesus comes up to John and says, baptize me. And John is confused, and rightfully so. John looks at Jesus and goes, there, there, if there are 7 billion people in this world, 6,999,999,999 need to be baptized. You are the one that doesn't need to be baptized. And Jesus goes, I, I know, I see. You, you think, you think that I'm coming here for me. No, 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 no. I'm coming here for you. I'm coming here because that Saturday night of shame that you walk around, that the devil tells you, that was shame. You can't have a relationship with God after what you did. Or maybe the shame that you have wasn't something you did on Saturday night, but something that happened to you on a Tuesday evening when you were a little child. And it wasn't something you did. It was something that was done to you. And you walk around with that shame. And you identify yourself according to that shame. And, and, and they walk, and, and I don't know, maybe you were like me. Maybe you were like me. Maybe there was a day when an adult entered a room that you were in. And then they, and I remember this clearly. They locked. And they double locked the door. And terrible things happened that day. Awful soul scarring things happened that day. And you go, because of that, I'm fractured. I'm damaged goods. No one could ever love me. And Jesus comes in the waters of baptism and he says, no, no, beloved, wait. Me too. I will experience your shame. I will not commit your sins. But I will have your shame bestowed upon me. And I will fulfill all righteousness in you. Don't you need that? I need that. I need to be reminded that as bad a father, as bad a husband, as bad a son as I am, 
that there was one who fulfilled all righteousness. Just recently, I had a dream that my mother died. It's not too infrequent. My mother's been sick for most of my life since I was five years old. Actually, ever since I can remember, I, I can remember five years old. My mother's been sick. I was with her yesterday. After, but before yesterday, I, was, I had a dream that she had died. And the thing about those dreams are the deep regrets that I feel. There's absolutely, you could, I could give you a whole litany of things that I've done and you could go, Edwin, you were a good son. And you know what I'll do because it's, it's, you know, courteous company. I'll go, thank you. But I know deep in my heart, not a good son. There's more I could have done. The old lady deserved a better son. She deserved more visits in the hospital. She deserved more gifts. She deserved more comfort. She deserved more. I know I'm not a good son. And in the dream, I felt the shame of all that. But I'm telling you, when your eyes awaken to the fact that Jesus took on the shame of bad sons, you can kiss that demon on the lips and go, yup, I was a real bad son. And I have had all righteousness fulfilled for me. I was a bad parent, no question. I'm not arguing that. But I've had all righteousness fulfilled on my behalf. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. As soon as... Then Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. Now pause right there. So Jesus takes and appropriates on himself at the very beginning of his, at the very beginning of his ministry. One that will culminate in, at the end, taking on your death. He first starts by taking on our shame. We need this. We need this as a church because I know that there are things that you and I have done that we don't want to tell anybody else. But Jesus comes out of the water. He's doing this for you. There's no one here. There's no pit so deep that his love is not deeper still. There is no one here who has gone so far that Jesus cannot grasp you. Listen, beloved. He loves you. And he's for you. And that means when people come up to you and tell you the truth about you. Have you ever had anybody tell you the truth about you? Yes. <laughs> Quick survey. Who has ever taken that like positively? Like somebody taking, you know, tell you the truth about you. Who has taken that positively? I've always, oh yeah, oh my goodness. I'm that bad? I knew it. Thank you so much for telling me. I've never done that. Maybe once or twice, but... When they tell you the truth about who you are, you can weep with them because you realize that the pain that they're feeling is the pain that Jesus took on the cross. And it, was for, it wasn't for the sin that was done to you, it was the sin that you've committed in this life. He's your shame taker. Jesus writes me too on his hands. 
at that moment, heaven was opened up. And look at this. As, at the moment that Jesus inaugurates his ministry, he starts by identifying with sinners. Not that he sinned, but he identifies with sinners. He went up out of the water. So right, he's baptized. He walks out of the water, and something powerful happens. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. And by the way, if you're here, and you're, maybe you grew up in a Jehovah Witness uh, background, and it's like, hey, the Trinity is not written in the Bible. You're right, the word Godhead is. But um, yeah, there, there are several words that we use um, that are not in the Scripture, and we use those words to describe scriptural theological ideas. For instance, even if you're a Jehovah Witness, the word rapture is not in the Bible, and yet we use it. Because it describes a particular theological event. So it's legitimate for us to use words to try to encapsulate or understand something that the Bible teaches. Here we see the Trinity, and I love it. And the Trinity is you have the Father, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit interacting with one another in a, in a powerful and miraculous way. He comes out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he sees the Spirit of God descending on him. He is anointed to do the work that, that he has to do. And then he receives approval. He receives power and approval. At that moment, he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love with him. I am well pleased. Now, do you remember what I just said about Jesus identifying with you? That he takes your place? Well, not only does he take your place, which is to take away your shame, but he goes one step further. He not only takes away your shame, but he gives you, bestows his righteousness. So anything that's ever said about Jesus can be said about you and me. Because we are, listen to me, in Christ. Does that make sense? You are in Christ. Could you imagine heaven's part? Spirit of God comes and says, and is close to you and says, this is my little daughter. I'm super pleased with you. Would you receive that? He says that. You and I receive that as Christ is well received by the Father. And we are in Christ. Do you understand? Because we are in Christ, the righteousness that He owns, has, He has bestowed upon us. That means you don't have to fight for righteousness. You don't have to prove how good you are. You don't have to, you don't have to do anything but receive this incredible gift. And it's for you. Now there are some of you here who you say, wait, I know God bestows his righteousness and he gives us forgiveness, but then from now on we have to live in a particular way in order to have God smile upon us, in order to have God. Now, it's true, like for instance, in my marriage, my wife loves me, she's not going to leave me. 
and it's probably wise for me, you know, to, you know, if she asks me to take out the garbage, it's probably wise for me to take out the garbage, right? If she goes, can you help me with the dishes? It's not a bad idea for me to wash the dishes. Now, understanding that those, that those tasks, that level of obedience doesn't make my wife love me. What they are is my, an overflowing expression of my love to my wife. But because I love her, I will wash the dish. I will take it. Do you understand? It is an overflow of love that makes me respond. I'm not trying to win her affection. I am flowing within the context of that affection. I'm not trying to get her to love me. I am overflowing the love that is already had between us. So when you and I obey Christ, it is out of love not to get him to like us, not to get him to favor us, not to get him to um, approve of us. That has already happened. This is my daughter. This is my son. I'm fond of her. I'm fond of him. It's an amazing, beautiful gift that God gives us in his son. Because Jesus says, me too. And so because of that, we can walk around with righteousness. Now watch this. You know what that means? Let's try to apply this uh, text, okay? What does this mean? Okay, so, by the way, we're taking communion. We're going to do it in a cool new way. Not a cool new way. We're going to do it in an ancient way. It's going to be kind of cool. Um, just flow. All right, so... <laughs> Your sister comes up to you. I don't know. Yeah, some, your relative, I don't know. Your father, your mother, your sister, your brother. Oh, and by the way, we need to take the offering. Um, before, Because I jumped up here out of time. Because I, um, and so we're going to take the offering. So go ahead and, you know, you can just kind of put that together while I'm talking to you. If you don't mind. Okay. It's bad for a pastor to do it that way, right? It's bad. I know. I'm, I promise you, I promise you, I'm not going to get another nickel if you give or don't. And, and, and here's, here, here's, the, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Our worship for what he's done with his me too. That's, that's, that's why we give. Because he was generously gave himself up for us. And so now we can generously give of ourselves to him. Does that make sense? Okay, so I promise you no pink Cadillacs in the driveway. Although my family does need a ride because our car did break down, so if you want to drive my family home at the end of this, that's cool too. Now, how do we apply this hashtag me too that Jesus writes across our hearts? Or rather that he wrote across his heart and his hands. How do we how does that make a difference? Here's, here's how. If, in fact, you are worse than you think, when people tell you that you're worse than you think, A, it's not a surprise, and B, you don't have to defend. Isn't that good? It's not a surprise, and you don't have to defend. You go, oh my gosh, I've known that about me for years. Thank you for sharing that with me. Or they might tell you something because maybe you're like me and you don't see your own sin. You know how, like, you know how like, you could see out of your eyes but you don't see the color of your eyes? Right? It's like that, right? Anybody who spends 15 minutes with you knows you're a raging narcissist. 
totally self-centered, completely absorbed with yourself. Anybody spends 15 minutes with you, but it's like a revelation if somebody tells you, hey, you're a little self-centered. You're like, me? What? No. I'm the most unselfish person I know. I remember I was with this person. I can't even tell you who it is. I was with this person, and we were like in, an, uh, in a living room environment. And, and, and so, you know, and we were talking about pride or selfishness, and they said that they weren't selfish. Like, and I just uncontrolled. You know how, like, you see something really funny, and you can't control it? Because I knew this person for a period of time, and I, like, I, just, I was like, I couldn't breathe. I was laughing so hard. Which is not the best way to help somebody counsel them through their selfishness. But it was what I did. My point is simply this. When someone tells you of how bad you really are, your righteousness is not found in your good works. Your righteousness is found in Jesus' me too. Get it? And so when they say that, you go, I know. And you know what? It's worse than you said. Because I'm worse than you think. It's worse than you said. Can you tell me how my selfishness has hurt you so that I could weep with you? You see the difference of that? My manhood is not tied up no longer in what my wife thinks of me. So it frees me up not to ignore what she's saying about me that's painful, but to walk with her in her suffering like Christ is walking. I, because Jesus gives me the me too, I can give her the me too. I can go to her. I know what it's like to be ignored or, or treated badly. Tell me so I could weep with you. So that my heart could break over what breaks the way Christ has identified with me. Let's say my brother here struggling with addiction. I mean, I could do this all day, right? I, you get what I'm saying, right? But the point is, is that we get the gift of the me too so that we could proclaim the gospel and give the gift of the me too. And so I encourage you, be encouraged. You're worse than you think, and you're more loved than you can imagine. And that looks like a million different ways, but not just that. We are going to share that in a magnificent way with the rest of the world. A gospel that, so you know what that means? If you're proud, that humbles you. Because if you're proud, God says, uh-uh, ain't nothing you got that I haven't given you. So you can't possibly be proud up in this piece. Like if you're a proud Christian, it's like saying, it's an oxymoron. It's like saying you're dry, wet. It's, you can't say, you can't be a proud Christian. It's an oxymoron. But, but what if you're debased? What if you're like me and you struggle with depression? What if you're downcast? You see, the gospel humbles the proud, but it elevates the humble. So that if you're in your... You know, Mama always said, I ain't, I ain't nothing. I ain't never going to be nothing. I never was nothing. And, and I can go like that. And I can go, Mama, that might have been true. But that is not my identity. My identity is found with the one who made me something in him. 
so that when I'm depressed, Edwin, you messed that up again. Edwin, you're so stupid. Edwin, how could you do that again? What were you thinking? I can go, I messed it up. Jesus, do you have enough forgiveness for even someone like me, a bad husband, bad whatever? And he goes, Edwin, me too. You're my kid. I really love you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes. 